All right. How you folks doing today? Can you kind of give like a little breath, you know, just like, we made it through Christmas. I'm actually proud of you for coming today. This is a common day to skip church, right? We've, we've been celebrating Christ for like three weeks now. I mean, we don't need church, right? Well, I'm glad you guys are here because uh, today is the final week of Advent. And traditionally, we would be speaking about this light topic called the slaying of the innocent, right? It's an odd way to wrap up this Christmas season, but there is something so essential to at least acknowledging it. So today we're not going to be spending our time on that, but I at least just want to bring a little bit of attention to it, because that's what the church at large is doing during this season. And, and I just want you to think for a second. When Herod, uh, in order to kill the Messiah, to kill Jesus, he... He, dis- he, he wanted all of the boys, two years and under, to be slain, just wiped out, genocide, in one town. And it's kind of like a passing footnote in Matthew. And I think sometimes when we, we think back to that culture, I think sometimes we almost think that that kind of stuff is normal, right? We're kind of like, oh yeah, people were, you know, wiped out. It's, it's, you know, all right, moving on, Christmas time. I want us to kind of slow down and think of that for a second, I want you to think if that were mandated of Lansdale, where boys two and under were wiped out. I want you to imagine what our elementary schools would look like five years from now when those two grades were all filled with girls and boys not there. Just something that I want us to recognize is that such an act of brutality points us to our need of a good king, right? Good King Jesus. Uh, so the acts of the dictators that we saw in Herod, and also the acts that we see nowadays as far as innocent children being murdered. It's in the news. Uh, this is what I want to do. I just want to say a prayer for it, and then we're going to continue with our topic. Is that okay? All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we know that your heart for children is huge and it is real. And God, there's lots of injustice going on today. And there are lots of children who are being mistreated. And Lord, we just want to lift them up. And we just ask that as the king and as you're watching over them, Lord, we ask that you act on their behalf. We ask that you raise people up to protect them and to shield them. And Lord, we just wait with anticipation for when Jesus will unleash his kingdom where this will be no more. We ask this all in your name. Amen. So... Today's topic that we're speaking of is something that I've experienced firsthand. In fact, I think all of you have. But to take you back, I want you to see the beginning of my relationship with my wife, Sarah. It started at a place that is magical place on a mountain. It's called Liberty University. You guys may not have known. I, I went to Liberty University. It's fantastic. I heard a whoop over here. That was awesome. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I tell you what, this is, Jerry Falwell had one plan for, to hitch us all up together. He did what we call brother-sister dorms. So the plan is, you get a girl dorm, you get a boy dorm, and they do like different group activities together. So my sophomore year, I was in leadership. I was essentially like a house church leader on the hall, like a small group leader. And there was this girl named Sarah, who was like, I love this title. Are you ready for it? A spiritual life director. She directed the spiritual life. 
as my wife. There's, she was good. And uh, so during our time, uh, when we were joined up together, there was, we would do activities together. The first thing we did, we were meeting the leadership. And as we're like, all, get, all those guys are getting ready to go meet the girls. There are all of these jokes, right? Like, you're like, going to go find my wife today. You know what I mean? Like any college guy would do. And as we were meeting up with them, it's kind of like Eye of the Tiger. You know what I mean? Like, be like, oh, I see this, this one seems to love the Lord a lot. I'm going to go speak with her. <laughs> and as we were intermingling, I noticed this one girl, again, Sarah. And I was like, she seems nice. And in a moment, as I'm trying to like hang out with her, get to know her, shot down instantly. Awesome. Just like high school. This is great. So, uh, I got over it quickly. I was just like, you know what? That's fine. Let's just hang out. Let's all be friends. And over that semester, God was doing a work in me to not, uh, to not be pursuing a dating relationship more than Him. That is until the next semester. <laughs> and what happened, um, uh, what happened is, uh, during Valentine's Day, around there, I was actually starting to get to know Sarah more. And uh, we were, you know, talking a little more, just kind of as friends, didn't think anything of it. And for Valentine's Day, single guy, I just wanted to do a nice thing. So this is what I did. I got 11 roses. Real quick, after I say this, I need you guys to say all. I know, it's just me, it's my, it's my problems, but I need you to say this. But uh, I got 11, or 12 roses... And I decided I would give one rose to each of my female friends on Valentine's Day with a little note of why I appreciate them. I know, right? So I made my list. And 1 through 11 was easy. You know, they've been friends the whole time. A couple of them were like my buddy's girlfriends. And I'm just like, not moving in on you. Just appreciate you. And so number 12 came. And it came down to a decision. It was either this girl that was my first friend at college, but kind of fell off the face of the earth, or this girl named Sarah. And I thought about it. And I thought about it. And I said, you know what? I know Sarah better at this point. I'm going to go with her. So she made the 12th and final spot. Isn't she a lucky lady, folks? That's, that's great. <laughs> great news for my wife. And uh, so what happened is, as I was delivering these roses, people were like, oh, thank you. Oh, thanks. That's so nice. You know what I mean? When I gave the rose to Sarah, she got, like, giggly. And she was, like, really excited to receive it. And, and I could tell that it meant the most to her. And at that moment, there was this little, there was this little flicker. This little flicker we call hope. (laughs) And I thought to myself, huh, I've seen that look before. All right. So I did what any guy would do during this time. I went home, checked Facebook to see if she was still with that guy. And I found out she was not. So that flicker turned into a flame. (laughs) Long story short, from that point... Uh, what happened is that this beautiful relationship grew. And I saw that flicker of hope, and I decided to go for it a little more. And then, eight years later, two kids deep, we have a great family, haven't regretted it yet. And she's actually at home with my newborn child right now, uh, which, by the way, I am thankful for Levi this year. Uh, he was born December 9th. Uh, but that little flicker of hope gave the green light. Uh, Today we're talking about hope. 
And uh, it's, it's something that we, we kind of, it's hard to find hope in this world today, right? Uh, we were just talking about some deep topics uh, that have gone on recently. But as I was discovering uh, what, what this message is supposed to be, a question came up in my own mind. I said, what's the difference between faith and hope? Think about it. What are the differences? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to throw this question to you. What are the differences between faith and hope? Whenever you're ready. Tough question, right? I think faith is believing in the unknown, like believing in the unknown, and hope is like, well, I hope that happens. I'm not really sure. There's like no belief there. It's like you're just kind of throwing it up and seeing where it lands. Where I feel like faith is a little bit more secure than that. Gotcha. So faith is a little more grounded, a little more secure. Hope is kind of like, oh, I'd like it to go this way, right? Like that's kind of how you describe it. That's good. That's good. Anyone else have a thought to add to that? Oh, that was deep. That got deep real fast. <laughs> Can you say that again? <laughs> That's awesome, man. I think we're done here. I think I can just go sit down. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you what, I did some digging on this, and who knew it? Martin Luther has this great, just... Article, I guess you say. I don't know if they wrote articles back then or if they were all books, but he just has this great section on the difference between faith and hope. And that's actually what we're going to be using today to just see the differences between faith and hope, but also to unpack hope a little more. Uh, so the first thing I want you to see is that they are different in their subject. Faith deals with understanding, hope in the will. It's kind of like we were talking about here, right? So faith deals with understanding, hope deals with the will. So one thing, as I don't know, if you want to get like theological, I know we got some great theological minds out here. So the discussion between is, you know, what composes the human? Is it uh, two elements? Is it three? Is it dichotomy? Is it trichotomy? Aren't those fancy terms? I don't know where I stand on this. This is all I know. I know that there is a difference between the head and the heart. You guys following me? Think about it. There's a difference between the head and the heart. So for example, uh, if someone hurts you, in your head you may be saying, I know I should forgive her, God's forgiven me of a lot, but in my heart I just don't want to do it. I'm not ready. I'm not there. You guys ever see that? Or a very real reality for us, uh, you can say, you know, in my head that, you know, I know the Eagles are terrible and they probably won't live. I probably won't live to see a Super Bowl, right? But in your heart, you still want to believe every time the season starts. Amen. All right. That's good. <laughs> There's a difference. And what I want to show you is that faith is that grounded element. It's that center. And the hope has to deal with the heart, with the will. 
I love Emily Dickinson quotes. I try to use them as much. Well, they just kind of pop up whenever I'm looking for them. This is Emily Dickinson's description of hope. She says, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tunes without the words and never stops at all. Isn't that beautiful? She's describing hope in that way. But I wanna, what I want to talk about at this point is, as we're looking at hope, hope is a choice. Think about it. Hope is a choice. Now, it doesn't necessarily feel that way, does it? Well, I want to take a look at Psalms here. And I want you to look at what the psalmist writes in Psalms 42. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Isn't that interesting? The psalmist is saying, why are you down, oh my soul? Why, are you, why is there turmoil within? You see him kind of giving himself like a little pep talk, right? He's saying, what's going on within me? So he takes his eyes from himself saying, what's going on? And he says, what? Hope in God. But I think nowadays we feel like hopelessness is something that is thrust upon us, right? It feels like something that, that if there's no hope, it's kind of just put upon us. As many of you know, uh, I am actually a car salesman at Piazza Hyundai. And it's been very slow the last couple months. And I know that uh, there are some people here are, who are in sales. You understand how it works, right? You know, you need people. You know, you need people to make sales, to make income. And so when people aren't coming through the door, it's like this despair just kind of creeps in, right? And, and you sit, at, what we do is you sit up at the desk and whoever comes in next, that's who you take. That's your customer. But when it's so slow and you, you just don't even believe people are going to come through the door... It takes all the strength in the world to just go up there and sit there and say, someone's coming through and this is going to be all right. And as you're up there, the hopelessness just kind of like bubbles up. And you wonder what people are doing in the world. Why are they so happy with their vehicle? Why aren't they looking at South Korean cars? Like, are they out there? Sometimes I wonder if the nuclear reactor went off and it affected everyone else except our store. I tell you what, guys, it is a huge gut check for me to keep my mind focused and say, no, I gotta sit at the desk. I gotta help customers. I gotta give it my all. Cause I mean, if I'm not excited, how's anyone else gonna get excited about South Korean cars? Am I right? <laughs> but folks, I want you to think over it. Some of you walking in here, whether you believe it or not, some of you are actually in the pit of despair. It's a very descriptive term that's used in Psalms. You're in the pit of despair and you don't see hope coming down the line. What I would like to throw out to you is that there is a chance for you to look at your soul and say, Why are you downcast? Why are you in trouble within me? And you may say, You know what? I get that, that sounds good, but like, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand uh, what problems I'm facing. 
I want you to hold on, and we're going to talk about that. The second thing that is different between faith and hope is that faith is the beginning, and hope develops in tribulation. Now, Romans 5 here is a very important passage. In fact, Jess, if you would be so kind as to read this for us into that mic right here. As she's reading, I want you to look at the screen. And I want you to see the breakdown of this passage. Really hone in. Because this passage is deep. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Thank you very much. So we're going to leave this up on the screen for a second. Because this breaks it down so beautifully here. It says, For through Him, who is Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. And what's the product of that? We rejoice in the hope of glory. I love that phrase. The hope of glory. That's awesome. But then Paul goes on to say, uh, we rejoice in our sufferings. <laughs> Say, well, now, you ever think of how crazy that is? We rejoice in our sufferings. I'm the kind of guy, like, if I'm walking down the hallway and I stub my toe, I'm like, ah, God, why did you do this to me? But, but Paul's actually saying, like, we rejoice in our sufferings. And if you look at Paul's resume, it's pretty intense. Paul lists off the things that have happened to him. Beaten, been flogged, been stoned. Like, you don't walk away from getting stoned, right? That, that's the cause that leads to death. Dude got stoned and went back into the city. So when Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings, I'm listening. <laughs> and he's going to show you why. He's going to show you why you can rejoice in your sufferings. What I want to do, I want to show you this slide here of how this breaks down. Why suffering is something you can rejoice in. Now, I'm, I'm a bit of a grammar nerd, so... I like, you know, the structural diagrams. You know, what? I, do you ever do that back in English, back way back in the day? Instead of putting the whole thing up for you, I just want to show you what this looks like. So you have up here, suffering. Suffering leads to endurance. Think about it. I want you to think of the biggest heartache that you've had. And I want you to think over that. What's the biggest heartache you had? Do you have it yet? Now, I want you to, to trace the lines. Has that heartache created endurance within you? I want you to really think. You see, I know that there's some joggers in our midst. When you're jogging and it starts to hurt, do you stop? I mean, I would. I, I'm just looking for joggers, though. When it starts to hurt, do you stop? You push through. Why? You're building endurance. It's the same in life. When you get that suffering, that heartache, that, that thing right there, you push through and it continues to build endurance within you. And as you're enduring 
as you're pushing through, God's doing a work at you, and he's building your character. Have you ever met someone that's been through a ton in life and has, like, the best outlook on life? Like, they're the happiest person you know, uh, they don't get rattled, and all of these things. Like, you have, I think everyone has that one person in mind where no matter what happens, they're firm, they're planted. There's a good chance that they've been through a lot of things. And God has produced that character. One person I think of is someone like Corey Ten Boom. Now, if you're not familiar with her story, her family was uh, put into camps and dispersed and eventually died through the hand of the Nazis. She survived. She came to the place of forgiveness. Why? Because her imprisonment, that suffering, she endured. And during that suffering, God built character. And what happens when God builds character in us? What we have left is hope. I love this passage. So think of it this way. When you're thinking of the the absolute worst thing you're either going through now, or the thing that has been the hardest thing you've ever conquered in your life, that's suffering, look at what the end can be. If you're sticking with God. If you're allowing Jesus to do His work in your heart, you can reach the end and say, God, thank you for that. Whether it's illness, a job layoff, maybe even tension with family. You can reach the end and say, God, thank you for that situation. It's pretty crazy, right? That's what hope can do. So the final thought I'll offer before we move on to the next point is, some of you are sitting at the top here. You're in the midst of this suffering. Here's my question. How does realizing this truth from God, how does that impact how you view this situation? How does that impact your situation that you're thinking of right now? That the end can be hope and that you can look back and say, thank you God for blank. How does that impact your situation right now? The third thing I want to show you, well, Luther wants to show you, is that faith and hope differ in their object. Faith is founded in truth, and hope is in the goodness of God. Think about that for a second before we move away from it. Faith is grounded In truth, hope is in the goodness of God. It's exactly like you said. Faith, you know, looking backwards, the past, how God has been, and and our grounding there, and hope moving forward to the future. There's this book that we have for Lael, and uh, we read to her. And it chokes me up every time. Now, I want to show you the picture here. Is there anyone else who has this book Oh, you need to go home and buy it. Even if you don't have kids, I want you to read it to yourself. Like, this book is fantastic. It's Little Fox and Little Seed. Isn't that adorable? (laughs) So what happens is, it's a book about trusting God through fear and change. It says right there. So, it starts off with Little Seed being comfortable in his cozy seed pouch. 
in his nice little wooden shed. And the farmer comes in and he makes things uncomfortable. He puts them in the ground. And his friend, Little Fox, is there saying, it's going to be okay. And there's this one line that gets me every time. Gives me goose pimples. Every time. In the middle of when Little Seed is afraid and just not sure what to trust, this is what he says. He says, but the farmer is good and the farmer is kind. And the farmer is always watching over him. And then as he meets his friend and he goes his way, and then they're separated by this right here. While he's down there, they both know that the farmer is good, and the farmer is kind, and the farmer is always watching over them. And as little seed begins to transform into a plant, into that final product that God designed for him to be, He concludes that the farmer is good, the farmer is kind, and the farmer is always watching over them. Isn't that exactly what you want to pass on to your children? That because God is good, and God is kind, and God is always watching over us, we can have hope. That's what hope being based on the goodness of God looks like. That's what it looks like. So that way, no matter what you're in, with the goodness of God as your foundation, you can say, I know God is good. I know God is kind. And I know God is always watching over me. Is that relief? That's hope. There was a... uh, Many of you probably know the song, Where Feet May Fail. Uh, A fantastic song. And... uh, I'm going to try and get the bridge right. Uh, But it says, Spirit, lead me to where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you may take me. Take me deeper than my faith has ever wandered. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. It's just an amazing song. One of those songs you listen to repeat and you just absolutely kill it and it never gets killed, right? We were singing this at this church. And... uh, during that, God brought to mind Jonah 2, uh, which was totally perfect for my life at that moment. Uh, because if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah was the man, the prophet that God said, hey, go speak to these people. And he's like, yeah, I don't like them. I'm going the other way. And he gets tossed overboard and the fish swallows him. Uh, so that, that's, that's a pretty tough situation to be in, Right. But Jonah, too, talks about his plummet as he's recalling that instance. And it's just a fantastic song. In fact, Jess, if you could read this for me. I want you to actually close your eyes and listen to this. I want you to close your eyes and listen to Jonah and what he had while he was sinking. And here's my question. What got him through when he was in the ocean? Close your eyes and listen to this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God in the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought, me, brought up my life in the pit. O oh Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and gone to Jonah out upon the dry land. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Can you imagine... As Jonah's sinking, to have that moment of clarity saying, I got a big God. What does he look to? He looks to God in his temple. God's presence among his people. That was his security while he was sinking. That's what he thought to. And he says, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Right there, he said, I will sacrifice to you and what I have vowed I will pay. While he was sinking, God's presence among his people, who God is, is what got him through. Maybe you can relate to him. Maybe some of you feel like you're sinking too. Maybe Jonah too needs to be something that you read for a while. I don't know. You see, when we talk about hope, there's hope that God can work in this immediate space that we're in. Whether it's a sickness that God can bring healing, or whether it's bad finances, God can turn it around. Or it's hope that at the very end of it all, God's got it under control, right? Uh, greatest example of this that I've witnessed uh, is actually Kent Dude right here, my uncle. Uh, getting cancer once is terrible. Getting it twice is a near-death sentence. And I remember a conversation uh, when hearing that. And Ken's outlook from that point was, if I get healed in this lifetime, that's cool. If not, I get to be with Jesus. And that's cool too. Isn't that it? <laughs> Isn't that what we would want for our own lives? That hope that God can work here and now, but also the hope that if He doesn't, like, we got eternity with Him and that's our hope of glory. Isn't that what it's about? So all of that to say, and this is, this is to, to kind of bring everything full circle here, is that we've talked about hope. And this is... Hmm. This is what I want to I want to really hone in on. If we can hope in God, you ready for this? We can hope in other things that aren't God, right? Now, I'm not going to put the quote up on the screen like originally planned, but this is what I want to just briefly mention is that Martin Luther his final point is that hope is like a general Fighting in a field, fighting hopelessness, it's fighting the cross, impatience, heaviness of spirit, weakness, 
Can you get that picture? So, what I want to pose to you, and this is where, like, I need you, like, really dialed in and thinking and before God right now. If hope is a general fighting all of these things, here's my question to you. What are the things being fought in your life? What are those sources of unhope? What are those sources of unhope? What is the general within you fighting? Maybe it's like I mentioned before that more money is going out than coming in. And no matter what happens, you feel like you can't get ahead. Every time you're able to stash a little bit up, the car goes or, or the AC needs to be repaired. Something like that. Maybe the budget is your source of unhope. Maybe you have a rift grown between you and someone else. And with every argument, you feel further and further and further away. To the point where you've tried to make things work, but it keeps heading the wrong direction. Where's the hope in that? Right? Maybe you're just looking at society and looking at all of the stuff that's going wrong and you're saying, where's the hope in society? I brought two kids into this world. What's going to be left when I'm gone? You ever have that question? Maybe you look at society and you say, there's no hope. Maybe you see a loved one making poor decisions. And no matter what you do, no matter what you say, they get further and further from what you know God wants them to be like. Where's the hope there? Maybe you've been looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And you so badly want to be in a relationship. Some, just that you can share life with someone. And maybe no matter how hard you try, nothing works out. Right? I've been there. Never seems to work out. Maybe you don't care about things like you used to. Maybe you, you just lost that drive. You used to stand for things. You used to know where you're going in life. And now you just don't even have a clue. All of those sources of unhope are what we can combat. And this is, these are my final thoughts here of just some ideas of how you can combat those sources of unhope. And the first thought is to take those thoughts captive. So this is something that I am terrible at. Uh, so I'm actually preaching at myself. When you have those feelings welling up where, oh, there's no way this person's ever going to change their mind. There's no way we're going to make the bills. Call it out. Use scripture to fight it. Challenge those thoughts instead of festering on it and saying, there's no hope. Why don't you turn to the source of hope? Destroy those thoughts. And the second thing I want to suggest for you is to memorize Psalms 42.11. I love this verse. I mean, look at, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? I need to do that often. There will be points where I'm just cast down because I'm cast down. I need to have a little pep talk here. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Some of us just need that hope that this is going to work out someday. And someday it's going to level out. I will again praise Him. The next thing I want to show you is actually something called, that I call a 12 stones list. So for this, uh, I went into my professor's office and he had stones on. And I was just like, what's with the random stones? And he painted them and he wrote a moment where God showed up. And what he did is he had them all stacked there. It could have been the birth of a child, 
uh, could have been that time uh, that he got a job. I don't know what they were. But maybe you need to sit down and write a moment down and just track it, like Joshua 4, where they compiled the stones as a memorial for the children of Israel. Maybe you need to take a look back and see how God has been faithful in the past and he'll be faithful moving forward. And the final thing, and this sounds a lot simpler than actually doing it, uh, is to lean into Jesus. That sounds good, right? That's the good church answer. But I want you to actually picture that you have a God who is intimately involved in your life. What's it like to take the sources of unhope and lay them before him? In fact, right now, I want everyone to do this. Put your finger up, about a foot and a half from your face. Okay? I'm going to ask you to hold it up the whole time. Your arm may go asleep, but I want, I want this finger up. So I want you to look at your finger here. It's beautiful. What do you notice about everything in the background? Still look at your finger. Goes blurry, right? Now I want you to look at the background, and I want you to see what happens to your finger. There's two of them, right? Freaky. That goes blurry. And this is what I want to encourage you. If you're looking at what's in front of your face, that's what you see and the background goes blurry. It's the same thing in our life. If we're focused on what's happening in front of our face, in this reality, in real life, if we're looking at that, We miss what Jesus has to offer us through our situations, right? The background of Jesus, what He's doing, what He offers, the hope of glory, the hope in this life, that all goes blurry when we're looking at what's in front of our face. But what happens if you look past what's right in front of your face? The things of this world go strangely dim. Now, it doesn't make them less real, but it makes them manageable. Because you're looking past them to someone who can help you. So my challenge to you is this. Find one way that you can get your focus beyond the things of this world, the things that are bringing you down, and focus it towards Jesus. It may be one of these four suggestions here. It may be just a conversation with someone. But God's ready to build that hope in you. It's a choice. It's something we can lean into. So with that, I want to just pray, and uh, then we'll instruct you guys further. Uh, Lord, we just, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for how you can offer us hope unlike anything else in the world, and that there's nothing in this world that can kill our hope. So Lord, today we just ask that you have your way. Pray that you will shine the light on the sources of unhope in our life that we can give them to you and we can walk differently. We ask this in your name. Amen.